Welcome to part two of episode 16 of the American Dream in the Eyes of Immigrants podcast. I am your host, Heidi de la Cruz, and today we continue with my conversation with Dr. Angela Gala. In this part of the episode, she talks about the opportunity she had to come to the United States with the public health international leaders of Washington, D.C. And because of this opportunity, she also was able to travel to various different countries. So let's finish off listening to her incredible story. And I hope her story is as impactful to you as it was to me. Enjoy. There was another invitation from the WHO to uh, enroll in the program of uh, public health, leader of public health, international leaders. And I came here to the United States for the first time in 2003 uh, okay. to work at the Pan American Health Organization office in DC, in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I lived one year. My mom was living in New Jersey. Oh, I, I forgot to say that in 1994, when I, I was already back from my career, I was married, I had my children. My mom finally got their visa and they came to live in the United States. Okay. So we separated, but it was already kind of, um, you know, well, we separated also the six years that I went to Russia. So my mom was all, all of that time, um, you know, encouraging me to continue my career and all of that. It was, you know, I had a good communication with both my mom and my father. My, my grandmother passed when I was in the preparatoria, while I was mm-hmm. in the preparatoria. That was another, that was a big loss in my life, but I, I treasure her in my, in my heart forever because I am named after her, her name is Angela. So I, I, I have her spirits. I mean, in my, in my heart, not her spirit, but her remember her memories. Yeah. Always. So Yo visité a mi mamá estando ese año aquí in the United States. Uh, every weekend I would go to New Jersey uh, in tren. Me iba in Amtrak <laughs> to see my mom. They would pick me up at the Newark station in New Jersey. And then I would spend the, the weekend with them uh, until Sunday early morning. I would go directly to my work. So I, I get... I think I left, uh, I, we, I used to leave, uh, leave from Newark at 12 something in the night, midnight, and I would arrive in Washington DC around 6 a.m. and I would go directly to the office. Oh, wow. Work. So, and I, I was living in, in Virginia. So it was within the, the, the belt, you know, the, the capital belt. Yeah where I was living. That was my first experience in the United States. And I had the opportunity to travel a lot while I was a, a employee employed with the WHO. I, I went to Canada, I went to Chile, Brazil, Peru. We, I was going to meetings, a lot of meetings around in, the, in Ecuador. Um, wow. I had the opportunity to travel a lot. Uh, it was an amazing experience, yes. <laughs> and many cities here in the United States as well. And I was in New York. I was in that place where United Nations is. Uh, I have some pictures of uh, being in the in that place where the countries, uh, the heads, 
of the most powerful countries get together. Mm, <laughs> so, wow. Um, in, in el salón de del el salón de seguridad de Naciones Unidas mm -hmm. o algo así. So yeah. The, what would you? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, what was the the first cultural shock that you experienced here in the United States? So at that time, I probably didn't see that much. I mm. think I had a very good um, impression of what I know. So the first thing I noticed is that everything that I had learned about the United States had nothing to do with the reality. Mm. I found a lot of good people around me. I found, um, you know, camaraderie, camaraderie and you know, like mm -hmm, when you mm -hmm. go, I remember me walking from the metro station to 23rd Street. I would work every morning when I was getting going to work. And everybody around would say good morning, hi, even say hello. And I, I don't know these people, but they are just saying hello. I, uh, another thing that I would, um, would be contrast for me is to see other people living in the street, especially sitting around those areas where the, eh, el vapor, porque hacía frío. So in el, donde mm -hmm. salía el vapor de las, eh, de, no sé, de las aceras, ahí estaban alguien. Um, I would say hello, and there was, I remember some, uh, an old guy sitting there every day, and I would always pass by, and I would say, hey, sometimes I would bring coffee for him, for him and I would give him coffee while I was walking to the, to the office, and he became just a friend. Oh, <laughs> it was, it was, it, it was an amazing time. I so um, also had the opportunity to to share with some Cubans that when I went to New Jersey to see my mom, I will also compartia con cubanos, you know, that they yeah. had been living in the U.S. for a long time, and other Cubans that just came over. I could see the differences in how people were at the beginning struggling to get used to acculturate from yeah. what they brought from Cuba and what they see here. I think it was easier for me because I had been exposed to other cultures already. Yeah, definitely. So it wasn't that hard at that time. Now, let me tell you something. I went back to Cuba. I was also seeing my mom and my brother, um, how hard they were working every time. And I was like, so like to give you an example, the families here in the United States always think about their families back in Cuba. When I got here, my brother was seeing me like, okay, you are here in a scholarship where you just will get some stipendia. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm with the United Nations, but I don't know yet what will be the, uh, my salary, you know? So he yeah. said, don't worry, you just save all the money that they will pay you because I will take, take care of your rent, of anything that you have to do here. I will take care of it. He was already working. He had his family here, my mom. My mom was also working and they supported me. They were everywhere. So when I was installing myself in one place, they were with me both taking mm. care of everything. But then when I, um, I came to see them the first time and I saw my brother coming from the work and saying, okay, I have three hours to sleep, one hour to get ready and go back to work. So he was working in three different places. 
in three different places. He was sleeping during the 24 hours, only four hours. Less oh than my four goodness. Hours. He was sleeping three hours and he was just going to work, back to work. And I was like, how, how, how can you do this? He said, I have to. We have to pay the rent. We have to pay the cars. I have a baby now. So my, wow. my sister-in-law was um, having had a baby, my first niece, and he was working hard. And then I asked him, um, and how do you, how much do you make? You know, in the three works, he was doing like three thousand something, very little. When oh I when I first got my salary, I was making more than him in just one month, just to work for eight hours. You know, and I was yeah. like this is incredible so and i'm here yeah. because of the fact that i had i mean i i already spoke in english i had all my career i was uh, in the middle of all these scientific uh, relationship and everything but i could see how hard it was for them to um come up with you know getting something the work was so bad so low paid and I was yeah. like, oh, my God, no, you don't have to take care of anything for me. I have to support you here. Not, okay. Nonetheless, he, I'm, I'm so grateful. He has always been someone that never had something for him. And, and that's the, 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 the case for the three of my brothers living here. They, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to have all of them around. And that yeah. was my mom's expectations before she she left us in 2010 mm. <clears throat> yeah so yeah that was what brought me here to the united states back i went back to cuba i continued to do my work i was having a good life i wasn't living a bad i, I have difficulties as everyone but I, I've always been someone that is not looking at the difficulties but at the ways how to go out of yeah. So okay. that's why I probably wouldn't say that I was complaining about everything that I have I have been living. Probably sometimes I probably complained about some uh, blocks that I was in. So like, for example, there was one uh, request from WHO for me to go to work somewhere and it was not approved for by the government um i never got why but that was so th those were some of the things that probably i would sometimes say this is unfair i don't yeah. and and so on yeah so that was it and then i went when there was a change in the immigration uh policies <clears throat> i had already lost my mom and my children were both grown adults and they were like with me, especially my son. My son, he was 18 when he, we had this conversation. Mom, do you remember what happened when your mom passed away? You weren't there. And both of you were suffering. She suffered because she didn't have you by her side. And you mm -hmm. suffered because you couldn't be by her side. Do you want that for your family? For you? Do you want that? I said, no, I want to be around you both and all my family always. And he said, then I don't want to stay in this country. I want to leave. And that was my old, my daughter had already uh, gone. She was in Spain. She was studying at the um, 
university in um, in Valencia. Okay. So and she got married there. So we we were already getting separated by the immigration. You know, again the same thing, the situation in Cuba, the disagreement with some of the things that were imposed by the government and all of that. And then I was like, no, I want to be, I don't want that for me. I don't want to go through that with my children. Yeah. And that was my decision. I asked my, so one of my brothers is a citizen and he could file for me. Uh, he filed and at that point, my son was 19. So he was approved in my visa. The interview came two years after when he was 21 and we mm. were on that program that at that time was working, the Cuban parole program, which allows you to come here earlier without having to wait for a visa. And then you get the visa one after one year uh, being here is La Ley de Ajuste Cubano. Okay. So I came that way and the officers in the immigration office that day of the interview decided that my son was 21 and he could not travel with me because he was an adult. Um, it was a tough decision for me to continue with our plans of immigrating. Uh, but the promise of that officer was, okay, you can leave a, an open parole for him and you will have him sooner there. So I came to the United States in 2014 as an immigrant. So I already had decided to leave in this country. And that was something that was clear for me. I was not traveling. I was not visiting a country. I was accepting to live in that country. And I was accepting that I will have to keep my culture, but at the same time, accept that I'm, I'm going to be living in another place with different cultures, with different perceptions, with different laws. Yeah. And I have to be respectful of that. So when I got here, I came without my son. I came with my husband. My daughter then later, she had already crossed. Uh, she did it through Mexico. She was in a scholarship in Mexico at that time. She, got the, she had already divorced and then she moved to Mexico and she crossed through the border and she was here. So we got reunited here. That was a blessing because I had been five years away from my daughter. And uh, I also, I was with my brothers, but my son didn't come with me. So I, that was a tough, tough decision. He was a baby for me. Oh, uh, yeah. He had never been separated from me, but that was the case at that point. So the first thing I believe that I faced here as an immigrant is the fact that people sometimes, um, it's hard to introduce yourself as part of the society because you are yeah. always as a foreigner. Uh -huh. And I had that in, not only from my, <clears throat> from my, from the um, other American people, the people born here, because we are, all are Americans. And that had been a, I had that discussion in my first place of work, my second place of work. Sometimes I would talk about that. We all are in the Americas. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I would feel that I had the situation when somebody would stop me in the supermarket and ask me who you, what are, what are you mixed? Oh and my goodness. Like, 
what it, it was terrible for me. I could feel like what is not who is what are you is is kind of you know que cosa it is. <laughs> so that yeah, that's uh, terrible. But I was like probably they don't understand. They don't see me like especially because um. So there was a perception at the beginning, and then when I would speak, they would notice my accent and say, what, you don't speak? Or my husband, for example, uh, everybody's going to approach him speaking in English, and he would say, no, I don't speak English. I speak Spanish only. And everybody's going to look at him like, ooh, where are you from? <laughs> and then that guy yeah. like, oh, where are you from? Well, and then... I don't know why, probably because everybody perceived that Cubans are all white and that is not true. It's actually mm. we are not. I don't think there is white people in Cuba or black people. We are not uh, defined by race. We are defined more, more like Cubans than by race. Yeah. With some exceptions, there are people that do believe that um, they believe only to one race or something like that but it's not the generality so we are not so race perceived as it is here in the united states so to that was one of the face the first uh, things that i faced i then started to notice some of the things that we had in our culture that also emphasized on the race situation but we didn't perceive it as such like, for example, I remember one thing that uh, is very used in Cuba, like pelo bueno o pelo malo, or mm, pelo yes. or pelo whatever. So that is referring to something that it's completely outside of our humanity. It's not about our humanity. It's about some characteristics that just make us, I mean, people try to make us different because of that. Um, mm -hmm. we didn't perceive that at that point when I was in Cuba and I was part of the same culture. I mean, I, and I had the opportunity to see how, um, how these manifestations impact other people's life until I got here. I think I got, a, I was more aware of the race of racism, uh, yeah. than I was before. So I became aware. That's one of the things. I also um, faced some of the situations that most of us, most of us as foreigners, face in corporations, in corporate uh, space. When you come, when you get there, even if you have a very a high academic background, I consider myself one of the highest academic backgrounds that could work in that place, um, and not because I'm. How do you say that? No estoy alardeando, bragging, right? Is that the case? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not bragging about myself. I'm saying the truth because it took me years to come there. I have a PhD. I hold a PhD and I am, um, I am prepared in what I was trying to work in. Yeah. However, because of, I think, I don't know why, but uh, one thing that I noticed, and I believe there are many things involved, is that my salary had, was very different from other people that were not at the same level, but they were from here. And then um, my position was a good position, but I was not paid the, and, and that's something that is also, I learned afterwards that it is also some sort of perception, but that is not perception, that is fact. And I could see it, you know, 
So I'm not complaining. I think I have to be grateful because as comparing with other uh, foreigners, Cubans even that have gotten here, they didn't have the opportunity because they didn't speak English and they had to do any other work, any other type of work. But I could, I had the opportunity to work in that position and that was a blessing for me. And I was able to work for six years in that position. And I think I brought a lot of uh, good things to my work. But finally, I decided to pursue my passion. And my passion was, um, I think I, I had the call to my passion when I first faced uh, my menopausal transition. And even though I learned what gaps are present in the healthcare system already because of my position, now I saw myself, I could feel my skin being left out without any help in the healthcare system. And I was a doctor and I didn't know anything about menopause or how to face it because I was, that's not part of our training. And it's not part of our training, not only in Russia where I did my career and in Cuba where I worked, but it's almost everywhere because that's the case here as well. I didn't wow. have that help in my, um, with my doctors, even my gynecologist. So I, I found myself lost in the system and I decided to do research because I knew how to do that. And I think that was one of my, uh, strengths. So I put one of my strengths to work on my, on my, uh, for my benefits first to find a solution for me. I think I started to create a system for me and that system after trial and errors in some and some stances, it did work. After one year, I was free of my, of my symptoms, uh, my perimenopausal symptoms, and they were very strong. I can believe me, they were just terrible. <laughs> I think it was a blessing as well. I think that was an opportunity for me to learn how it is to be mm. in that stage. And I, uh, after all my, there are many, there are many things in that story until I finally founded my business, Dr. Gallagher's Coaching LLC. And my purpose, my aim is to assist women who are facing moderate to severe symptoms of perimenopause to navigate this stage of life smoothly and joyfully and all of that naturally without having to, you know, get into hormone replacement therapy, which I believe is one of the biggest uh, mistakes in management of menopause, especially when there is still other opportunities. But that's what we have learned, that menopause is a deficiency uh, condition when it's just a natural process. Um, so that's that's mostly what I, maybe there might be lots of things, even if I can focus in one detail, but I wanted to bring most of my story in that in this conversation <laughs> no yeah i mean it's definitely a very interesting story and then along the way you found your passion and now you know you have your your business and and helping women and no it's, it's been amazing it's definitely been i've been like you know imagining everything that you're talking about and 
I feel like I've traveled with you as you were um, telling your story. And it's just been, you know, and then just it was very shocking to me to hear that you were part of the history of when the Soviet Union collapsed. Like you were there to experience that like that's that's Mm -hmm. it was like an eye opening for me. Um, But no, thank you so much just for sharing all this. And and I was definitely looking forward to to learning um, because, you know, from our pre-show, I just knew that like your story was going to be impactful and and just have a lot of um, information. So I was very looking forward to listening to it. So thank you so much for sharing. And um, can you uh, tell the listeners where they can get in contact with you? Yes, absolutely. So I am in all social media. I'm in Facebook. They can find me as Angela Gala Gonzalez. That's my full name. They can find me in Facebook. That's my personal profile. I have more than 5,000 followers. You can follow me now. I don't think I will be able to add more friends, but now everybody (laughs) is free to follow me. And I will be, I, I all, I'm always sharing a lot of value in my profile. I also have a business page. The Fabulous Women uh, Network is one of them. And the other one is Dr. Galahad Koshin in Facebook. They can follow also. I have a group. I have a group specifically for women who are facing this uh, transition, uh, trouble transition to menopause. Uh, we Thrive Through Menopause is the group. They can follow, um, they can request to join and please respond the questions before you join. And then the other one is uh, in Instagram, they can find me as Gala Angela altogether, Gala Angela. Uh, well, Gala Angela in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They can also find me in, in LinkedIn. They can look for my name, Dr. Angela Gala Gonzalez. Uh, they can find me in Alignable. They can find that in Alignable, I'm, uh, I am like Dr. Galahad's coaching LLC, my company, they will find it there. I have a web page. The web page is HTTPS, um, uh, those puntos slash slash Dr. A, D-R-A Gala coaching.com, D-R-A Gala coaching.com. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, um, Angela, so much for your time, for your story. Um, I, yeah, just thank you so much for everything. I've learned a lot and (laughs) I will make sure to include your links in the show notes. So for those who want to get in contact with you, they can. And yeah, just, just thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are wanting to be a guest on this podcast, please send me a message on Instagram. Or if you know someone who would be willing to share their immigration journey, please send them my information. Um, The link to my Instagram is in the show notes. If you haven't yet, please leave a review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast so other people can learn about it and share with a friend. This is the best way that we can reach as much people as possible. Thank you so much for your continued support. Until next time.